Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Man, oh man, isn't that good stuff? That's, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, uh, if you were with us last week too, you know that we had another one of those videos, right? We had a video with uh, Dean and Bernice Stevenson, Dean and Bernice. We had a video with Wes Hornish in it. And we announced that we're in a, bu- a building campaign, right? We're in our here and now building campaign. Um, and we don't have building plans yet. They're kind of expensive, kind of pricey. So we're holding off on those. But the amazing thing is, even though we don't have architectural renderings of what a building's gonna look like, we do have plans of what we're building for. You just saw it. That's the blueprint. That's the blueprint of what we are building for. We are making room. We are making room for people to find the Father, to find a family, and to find a fulfilling future. That's what this is all about. And it's exciting just seeing how God is working that out in our church. We need more room. We need more room because he is giving us influence. And uh, uh, it's just great to see what he's doing in the life of our church. Speaking of that, man, wasn't last week incredible? Were you here for worship night? Can I hear if you were here for worship night online? Man, oh man, I... It was something else last week. Like, it, it was something else. We were joking about uh, the next day, like Monday morning. A lot of us uh, on staff, a lot of the ministry partners who volunteered, we were like, man, we're going to have a holy hangover on Monday morning. Like, we're just <laughs> wiped out. Like, woo, we just worshiped hard. It was intense. And not even just worship night, but Sunday morning was amazing. And you want to know why that is? It's easy to think it's, well, I mean, we started, we, we started a building campaign. And it was worship night, and Dwight was here, and we had a bunch of people up here on stage, and the lights, and the fog, and everything, and it's just so, it's cool that 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 ain't it. That's not why it was so powerful. You want to know why last week was so powerful? Because you, and you online, you brought it. That's why it was powerful. And you want to know what I mean by it, what it I'm talking about? You came in here with an expectant heart. You came here expecting to see God move and to do something in your heart. And whenever you come before God, whenever you approach his throne with an expectant heart, God does something. He moves in a different way. And so the encouraging thing about that is you loved how last week was. We can have that every week. We can have that every week. You come here with an expectant heart, God will meet you here. I'm so, you know, luckily we don't get this a lot at Cornerstone, but I hear from pastor friends about how they'll have people come to their church and say, "Uh, you know, just wasn't getting fed, just wasn't getting fed. Man, I'm glad we don't have that here because if you come with an expectant heart, you're already full. You're already full. And so whenever you come to Sunday, it's just an overflow of what God's been doing in your life throughout the week. And so I want to let you know how great last week was. We can have that every week. We keep coming here with expectant hearts, expecting to see God move We will have worship. We will have moments like that every single Sunday. I promise you that. So I want to ask you, are you expectant today? Are you expecting to hear God move and to say something to you? Because he's going to. I can promise you that much. He is going to say something to you. If you would, pray with me real quick. Father God, we are here with expectant hearts. We are here with open minds, open spirits, open hands, willing to listen from you today. Because God, we know you want to speak to us. 
And so we are here, and God, what we ask is that in this moment, you supernaturally would go before us to remove any distractions, any other tabs that we have open on our computer, any other apps that are calling our name, any plans that are beckoning us for after church, that we would take those and that we would set them aside for the next few minutes so we can be present to hear from you. Because we know whenever we are present and when we are expectant, God, you move mountains. You speak in different ways. You do something to us, and we're believing you for that today. Go before us in this moment. Meet us, God. Challenge us in the right way and help us to meet that challenge. We love you so much, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Tell the person next to you that you came with, God's going to speak to you today. God's going to speak to you today. Believe it. Put it in the chat. God's going to speak to you today. Don't tell them, finally, it's about time. Don't tell them that. That won't, that won't go over good. Well, hey, we're going to be, if you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20 today, Acts chapter 20. If not, don't worry, we'll have the words up here on the screen. Um, I'm just going to give you a real quick background on the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is like the sequel to Jesus's life, if there could be such a thing, right? So uh, the first four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are immediately followed by the book of Acts, which is this historical record of what happened in the early church, that Jesus died, he resurrected, he returned to heaven, and then Acts chapter 1 picks up on the story with Jesus' disciples furthering the kingdom of God uh, in the area of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities and regions. And so whenever we look at the book of Acts, it's kind of like divided into two chapters or two, two sections. Whenever we look at it, we can see that Acts chapters 1 through 12 kind of focus on the Christian church in Jerusalem. This city where Jesus was killed, where he came back to the, uh, where he came back to life, where he ascended into heaven, it kind of just focuses right there. But then a shift happens in chapter 13, and suddenly we start following this man named Paul, this amazing man of God. We start following him the remainder of the book, uh, chapters 13 through 28, and Paul is actually who we're going to kind of focus in on today. We're going to look at uh, the Apostle Paul a little bit. Uh, and with that in mind, I just want to see, has anyone ever taken one of those like 23andMe tests? Anybody, one of those like DNA, see what your, your background is? Anybody ever like play around on Ancestry.com, Family Tree, anything like that? It's kind of interesting. I've, I've done it before um, because they had like a free trial. <laughs> and so I signed up real quick to try to get as much information as I could in seven days before I had to pay for anything, right? So um, I signed up for Ancestry.com and it was pretty interesting. Like it was, it was crazy. Going back, I went back um, to like great, great, great grandfathers and uh, grandmothers. It was pretty crazy seeing where you come from. Something about that always interests me. Uh, and I've always kind of thought it would be so cool if we somehow could know our spiritual family tree. Like if we could, wouldn't that be cool? Like just the, the idea, the concept of, well, I have faith because... My, my dad led me to faith. And my dad's faith, it can be traced back to a Billy Graham crusade. And Billy Graham's faith can be traced back to this theologian that he read. And that theologian, like just keep following it back and see where your faith goes. Wouldn't that be interesting to see who's in your faith family tree, right? The different people, maybe celebrities, maybe famous people throughout history that have had an impact on faith reaching you today. And whenever I think about that, the, the, the cool thing is, that just about every single person in this room, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, everybody watching online, if you're a follower of Jesus, if we do a DNA test on your spiritual DNA and we follow it back, chances are it's going to end with Paul. Chances are 
The man we read about in the book of Acts, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and through his letters to various churches, chances are he's your spiritual father because of his impact, because of the impact he had, because of the life he lived, he advanced the gospel in ways no one ever has and no one ever will again. Outside of Jesus Christ, Paul is the most influential figure in the history of the Christian faith. He had influence, and he used that influence to advance the gospel. Church, that's what we're trying to do. We believe God has given us supernatural influence, not just in Akron, not just in Northeast Ohio. We have people watching online from different states and different countries. God has given Cornerstone influence, and we are wanting to use that influence and turn it in to capitalize on it, to advance the kingdom of God in new ways. We're following Paul's lead. Now, in Acts chapter 20, the the set of verses we're going to be looking at today, it's pretty emotional because what we're going to be reading is Paul's goodbye letter, uh, this account of his goodbye that he has to the church elders in the city of Ephesus. Paul went to the city of Ephesus. He started a church there. The church thrived and grew uh, and became this very powerful church that had completely changed the city of Ephesus. And back in those days, unless you're seeing somebody face to face, you're probably not gonna hear from them again, right? Can't exactly FaceTime anybody. Can't send anybody a TikTok or a Snapchat, right? Can't tweet at anybody. It just ain't, it ain't happening. You see them face to face, so that's it. And Paul, he knows with his line of work, he's like, man, I'm, I'm not gonna live to the ripe old age of 80 or 85 or 90 or 90. It's not in my cards. The line of work that I'm in, advancing the kingdom of God under the oppression of the Roman Empire I know my time is limited. And so Paul's seeing into the future and he's realizing I'm probably not gonna see this, this church that I started, these people that I love, this, this, this congregation, I'm probably never gonna see them again. So Paul asks the elders to come gather together so he can have kind of his final goodbye. And that's where we're gonna be reading from today. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. For he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So Paul's on his way, he's traveling, but he knows he's going to be going by Ephesus, and he wants to say one last goodbye to the leaders at the Ephesian church. So from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And here are key verses. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Amen and amen. Man, there's there's a lot to digest there. We're going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that scripture in a moment. 
Uh, real quick, I want to give you my sermon title for the day. If you're a note taker, any note takers in the house? Man, I'm a note taker. There's something that happens whenever you're writing it down and you're typing it in. It, it just sinks in a little bit better. Uh, a little bit better. But uh, if you're taking notes, our title for today is No One Else Is Coming. No One Else Is Coming. I want to ask you a question real quick, too. Um, and this isn't a hypothetical. Like, I'm not just asking this. And I, I want a response. Like, this is a call and response moment. I want to know. What's one of your biggest pet peeves? What's one of your biggest pet peeves? What just kind of like sets you off? Don't, don't be shy, unless it has a name. If your pet peeve has a name, if it's like my husband, keep it to yourself. I ain't trying to have any drama today. But, but what's a pet peeve? Come on, fire him off. Put him in the chat online too. Chewing with mouth open? Whew, we had one of those in first service. I, I can get on that one. That's Anybody else? Any other pet peeves? Interrupting people when they're talking, yes, that's a good one. And one more, one more. Slow, amen, <laughs> hallelujah, amen. <laughs> that's, a, that's, yes, yes. Can I, can I tell you where I'm at? Can I tell you where I'm at? And this is your pastor, I'm gonna be vulnerable for a moment. I can just about lose my salvation whenever I step into a puddle with a sock on. Can I tell you, I, I lose my mind. It, something, something sets off, my lizard brain kicks in, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, I, I just go bonkers. I hate it. I hate it. I hate when that happens. And it just happened to me a few days ago. It just happened to me. We've had all this snow, right? And it's easy to track it into the house. And evidently, that's what happened. Got tracked into the house because I'd taken our dog out, Teddy, let him use the bathroom, bring him back in, take the shoes off, kind of set stuff up, turn on the TV, get ready to go into the kitchen, to make a, a little cup of coffee and take one step and just, right? You just feel it and instantly just, oh, are you kidding me? And so I'm, my thought instantly, I'm not kidding. This is just vulnerability right here. My instant thought is, really? Like no one else could get this? No one else is gonna pick this up? Now to most of you, that seems like, yeah, why, why didn't anybody else get it? But you don't know why I haven't told you yet is my wife and kids are gone. They're out of town for the week. I'm the only one home. <laughs> I'm upset and yelling at no one. Teddy's looking at me like, you've lost your mind. <laughs> like, what, what is going on? You see, I had tracked the snow in. I had let the snow melt. I didn't clean it up. And here my instant thought was, well, surely someone else was coming. Surely someone else is coming to clean this up, right? No one else was coming. No one else is coming. We do that, don't we? We just assume. Someone else will get it. Someone else is coming. It's, it, it, we, we do it all the time. We do it with the empty toilet paper roll, right? <laughs> Someone else will get it. The gas tank. Man, that's my wife's, that's my wife's go-to. She must be allergic to gasoline because she never <laughs> fills the tank. Every time I get in that car, it's at a quarter tank or less. And that's if I'm lucky it's at a quarter tank, right? Someone else will get it. Someone else will do it. The microwave. Man, I don't think I know of anyone who has a clean microwave. Everyone's microwave looks nasty as all get out on the inside because someone else will get it. Of course, my, my soup, it had a few splatters, but nothing crazy. There was already stuff in here before me. Someone else will eventually get around to it. If those, if those don't really hit you where you're at, maybe one of these will. Uh, maybe you're a person who, who you're, you're constantly late all over the place, and it doesn't matter. Other people will be there. Start the meeting without me. There's other people there. I don't need to be there on time. Maybe you're a person who you're like, ah, I don't really need to give all-out effort on my paper for school. 
because I know that my professor grades on a curve. <laughs> I don't have to do that great. I just got to do better than this guy. <laughs> like, so you don't really go all out because someone else is coming. Someone else will handle it. I don't need to make the party. Eh, it doesn't matter if I RSVP. People will still be there. Someone else is coming. Someone else is coming. But what if they're not? Do you ever stop to really consider that? What if no one else is coming? What if the situation that you keep punting on, the situation you keep deferring on, is like my wet socks? You think someone else is coming and you're the only one home. What if no one else is coming and it's just on you? You see, last week, last week was a call to action. This week is a call too, but this week is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for you as an individual. It's a wake-up call for us collectively as a church. It's a wake-up call for myself. I'm included on this. It's a wake-up call. If we want to make a difference, if you want, let me put it this way, you want your life to actually matter, your life to matter after the moment you take your last breath, you have got to start living like no one else is coming. Start living like no one else is coming. Cornerstone I know as a church, we want to make that kind of difference. We want to have a difference as a ministry that outlives our lifetime. We want to have a, a difference of making heaven full, of, of seeing people come to saving faith in Jesus, and not just for eternal fire insurance, but for a better life right here and right now. We want to make a difference. So we're running in the flow of favor. We're doing everything we can to advance our mission and to capitalize on the influence that God has given us. We're trying to get this new facility built. We're trying to get this new facility built. And I want to tell you, as we run towards that future, as we run towards that and we claim that we're going to see that happen in the here and now, I want to let you know when it comes to our facility and whenever it comes to the issues in your life, our biggest obstacle to overcome our biggest obstacle to overcome, it's not the enemy. We love to blame things on Satan, don't we? It's not the enemy. He's not our biggest obstacle. Our biggest obstacle getting this building built isn't even finances. It's not even money. It's not even the pandemic. I know he, the pandemic's kind of become a catch-all for everybody too. Oh, well, this, this pandemic, what can you do? What can you do? No, no, no. If we don't get this building built, which we will, <laughs> which we will, but hypothetically, let's, let's say we don't get this thing built. It will be because of one obstacle and one alone. Us. Us. We are our biggest obstacle. I am our biggest obstacle. Tell the person you came with today, I knew it was you. I knew you were the problem. I knew it. I knew it, and the pastor just confirmed it. It was you. <laughs> I knew it was you. It's our biggest obstacle. And if I can get real specific with it for a moment, if I can just really pinpoint what our obstacle is, our biggest obstacle to seeing God move in our lives, both corporately as a church and independently as people, our biggest obstacle is our tendency of dependency. We have a tendency of dependency. We tend to depend on people and not in a healthy way. I'm not talking about the kind of dependency that we have on God where, you know, Acts 17, 28 talks about, hey, in God we live and move and have our being. Everything comes from him. I'm not talking that kind of dependency. I'm not talking about dependency on other people uh, from Galatians 6 where it says carry each other's burdens and by doing so you fulfill the law of Christ. I'm not talking about that kind of dependency. I'm talking the bad kind 
of dependency. I'm talking a passivity that says, I don't need to. Someone else will. I don't need to because someone else is coming. No, it's good. We're good. I, I'm fine. Someone else will handle it. Tendency of dependency. And I want to tell you something. It's so ingrained in us, it's almost subconscious. You know, that's why I was about to flip out whenever I stepped in a puddle, even though I was home alone. <laughs> because at a subconscious level, it is so easy for me to just defer to someone else. It's so easy to really, no one else picked this up? Oh, wait, it's just me. No one else is here. It's the reason you can get mad at a dirty microwave that you dirtied up. It's the reason you can be upset about an empty gas tank that you let go unfilled. It can be the reason you sit down to do business and you're upset there's no toilet paper and you were the last one to use it. <laughs> because at a subconscious level, we have this tendency towards dependency to someone else will do it. Someone else will come. Someone else will fix it. I don't need to. I tend to depend. I tend to depend. Even if it's subconscious, we act, we think, or we don't act like someone else is coming. And if it just stopped at dirty microwaves, that'd be one thing. It'd be annoying, sure. If it just stopped at empty gas tanks, then yeah, maybe you run out of gas a few times here and there, but I mean, it's nothing too big. The problem is it carries over into really important, very vital areas of life. This tendency to dependency, it carries over into crucial areas of life. And so you know what ends up happening you start to, whenever it comes to sharing faith with your family, you've got family members who they don't know Jesus. They're far from God. And your mindset is someone else will talk to them. I don't need to. In fact, it, it wouldn't be good if I did. It wouldn't be good if I did. No, I know, but you don't know my uncle. Look, someone else will come. Someone else will come. Someone else will have the talk. Someone else will handle it. Someone else must be coming. Someone else, I, I don't need to be the one to go sit with the new kid. I don't need to be the one to go sit with the new kid. That's, you know, I don't want to do that. I got my friend group. We're cool. Like, we're, we're good here. I, someone else. Someone else. I feel like I always have to do it. Someone else can step up. Someone else can be the one to go do it. Someone else can be the one to break that generational sin in my family. I know my, my great-grandfather struggled with this and those habits he passed down to my grandfather and those habits he passed down to my dad and I know now I see him rising up in me. But man, you know how hard it would be for me to completely just adjust my life, to completely adjust things, to really sacrifice and really put in the work? Man, someone else will do it. Someone else will do it. Getting this new facility built. Getting this new facility built, I want to tell you, I, I promise you, I promise you, if we don't get it built, it won't be the devil, it won't be finances, it won't be COVID-19, it will be a tendency of dependency of us, people who call this church their home saying, someone else will build it. Oh, that's so nice what Cornerstone's doing. That's so nice what Cornerstone's doing. Someone else will give. Someone else can pray. Someone else can sacrifice. Someone else can, can worry about it. I, I mean, you don't know what my schedule's like. 
You don't know what my finances are like, Pastor. You don't know what I'm going through. Someone else, someone more capable, someone more equipped, someone more resourced, let them handle it, not me. Someone else must be coming. We have a tendency of dependency. Like I said, today is a wake-up call. We tend to depend. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Why do we do this? Why did we do this? There's a whole abundance of potential reasons for it. There's a whole bunch of different reasons. Maybe it's experiences in your past. I know I've been there where, uh, uh, you know, I I haven't done what I was supposed to do. I've passed off. I've deferred. And other people have picked up the slack from me. And so it's easy to think that will always happen, that I can always just push things off and someone else will come. So maybe it's past experiences. But I, I think the main reason, I think the main reason that we, have this tendency towards dependency is this. Especially, I'm gonna get real, real like uh, uh, on point whenever we talk about our own individual lives and us trying to build this new facility as a church. I think our main reason we tend to depend is because we overestimate other people's resources and we underestimate our obedience. I'm gonna say that again because you need to hear it again. We overestimate other people's resources and we underestimate our obedience. We love to depend on other people. We love to depend on other people. Man, let them handle it. You don't want me talking to my uncle about Jesus. No, no, no. Let me get someone who's more capable. Let me get someone who knows spirituality better to talk to him. Let me get someone else, just someone else, not me. Someone else will do it. No, I know the church needs help. I know people in my life. I, I, I get it, but someone else, someone more resource, someone with a, a better intellect, with better finances, with better capability, leave it to them. They're more resource, not me. But the truth is, moves of God, when you look throughout history, when you look throughout scripture, moves of God have very little to do with resources and a whole lot to do with obedience. They have very little to do with resources. I want you to do me a favor. When you go home today, you, you rifle through Scripture. You try to find how many times God is searching the earth looking for the most resource person to use. You won't find it. You won't find it. God could care less about the resources you have. He wants your obedience. Do you th- when have resources ever mattered to God? Did resources matter when he called Moses, who had a stutter, who had a a speech impediment, to be his lead vocalist before Pharaoh? Did resources matter? He could have cared less. Did the size of Gideon's army matter to God? No, he whittled it down from a 10,000-man force to 300 because resources don't matter, but obedience does. Did David's stature matter when God selected him to be king? He was the smallest out of all of his brothers. Resources don't matter to God, but an obedient, faithful heart does. The two loaves and five fish, was God looking for the most resource person in the crowd or was he just looking for someone who said, this is what I have. I'm just giving it to you. When have resources ever mattered to God? When he talks about a mustard seed faith that can move a mountain, when he talks about the widow's might making more of a difference than someone giving 10 times the amount that she gave, when have resources ever mattered to God? They don't. Your obedience does. Stop overestimating other people's resources and underestimating your own obedience. Stop doing it. Stop downplaying it. 
We are so concerned with, especially whenever we get to this building project with, well, how much, how much, how much? We focus on how much. Well, how much can I give? It will even matter how much. We are so focused on how much, and God is saying, I don't care how much. I care how willing. How willing are you? How willing are you? Stop talking about your resources. I don't want to hear it anymore. When have I ever cared about your resources? I care about your heart. I care about your obedience. Are you willing like I've been saying, this series, man, it has two tracks. We're talking about it, uh, what God can do through us in the here and now in a personal standpoint and also corporately, collectively as a church. And man, I, I just want you to understand this so bad in your own personal life, not just with this building campaign. It's your obedience that matters. I just, man, I want you to get that. I just want you to realize that and embody that and hold that truth that God does not care about your resources. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your obedience. Don't downplay it anymore. Look at what we just read in Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul was not a resourced man. He was not a resourced man. He did not have tons of funds, right? Didn't have bags of cash or anything like that. He wasn't an official high up in the Roman government. He was not resourced, but he was obedient. He was obedient. Listen again to what Paul says, this is him describing his own ministry in verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing. You know I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I've taught publicly and from house to house. Paul wasn't resourced, but man, was he obedient. Paul wasn't resourced, but man, was he faithful. He just listened to God. Whenever God called him to do something, he did it. He did it. Paul could have very easily, Paul knew some people. Like I said, he was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. He knew some people. He could have just left this to someone else. Well, God, I don't need to do this. There's other more resource people out here, but he didn't do it. Paul obeyed, and Paul followed, and Paul worked. And because he did, because he did those things, his choices set into effect a domino, a chain of events that led to your faith. He's your spiritual father. An unresourced but obedient man is the reason you're here today, is the reason Cornerstone Church exists. It's the reason you're watching at home today is because an unresourced man named Paul who was obedient to the point of death followed God and trusted him. And because of that, he changed the world. You think you're under-resourced? No, you're underestimating. You're not under-resourced. You are underestimating what God can do with your simple obedience. Don't do it anymore. Stop downplaying it. Stop downplaying it. Stop looking to other people and going, well, man, they can write the check. They can give. They can pray. I'm not a prayer warrior. They are. Man, I don't have funds. They do. Stop downplaying your obedience. Don't do it. God does not care how much. God cares how willing. He wants to move through your obedience. My grandpa, James Mason, another man who was not resourced, did not have tons of money, didn't come from a prominent family, anything like that. He, he was a pastor. He pastored at multiple churches, never had a church over 200 people. Yet when he passed away, his funeral was held in a room that could accommodate 2,000 people because so many people wanted to come and to remember him and honor him. This small man from Pennsylvania, under-resourced, 
his death was not just mourned in person by 2,000 people, it was mourned by people on different continents because of the impact he made. Under-resourced, but obedient. Do not downplay what God can do with your obedience. Don't do it. God does not care about how much. He cares about how willing. In your obedience, not your resources, what can change the world? It can change the world, and I mean that literally. It can literally change the world, your obedience. Because whenever you couple it, whenever you take your obedience, and you really start following God, let me put it this way. When you live like no one else is coming, you can make a difference no one else can. When you live like it's on you, when you start living like, man, there's no one else coming. There is, this is on me. There is no one else coming. When you live like there is no one else coming, you will make a difference no one else can make because you are unique. You're one of a kind. Man, you're special. <laughs> the stuff that God has given you, the experiences you've been through, the skills you have, the personality you have, it is unique and it's one of a kind and it's special. And your family, your friends, your community cannot afford you deferring anymore. They can't. Your family needs you. Your family needs you to step up and not say, well, someone else is coming. Someone else will be the kind one. Someone else will be the patient one. Someone else will be the one who, who's, you know, doing all these things. No, no, no. Stop deferring. No one else is coming. They need you. Your church needs you. <laughs> we need you here. Cornerstone is not the church that we should be without you. I'll be honest. It, we're, we're just not. We Need you. We need your obedience, not your resource, your obedience. That's what we need. We miss out on you when you defer, when you give in to that tendency of dependency. We miss out on you. You see, Paul was unique. Man, Paul was unique. Paul was one of a kind. Paul, Paul he, he was a Roman citizen, so that gave him certain privileges. He was able to get meetings, and, and he was able to be seen before people that he wouldn't have if he didn't have that unique quality about him, him being a Roman citizen. Paul was a Pharisee. This man knew the law inside and out, which gave him the ability and the authority to speak on things. It allowed people to hear him who wouldn't have heard him before because he had that knowledge and said, hey, I've been there. Paul was Unique. He was unique in his calling. He was unique in his skill set. He was unique in his influence. And whenever you take that uniqueness and you couple it with the fact that Paul lived like no one else was coming and he ministered like no one else was coming and he loved like no one else was coming, when you couple those things together, monumental impact. Monumental impact. You want to know how the Ephesian church responded to Paul? Whenever he announced this and he says, hey, I'm leaving, I may not see, see you again. He had made such an impact on their life. Listen to this. I didn't give them the verses to put up on the screen. I just want to read this to you. This is the, the response of the elders at Ephesus. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they walked with him to the ship. They were heartbroken. They were heartbroken. They, scripture says, wept and they held him and they threw themselves on them and kissed him and just this man who had given them everything, he had made a monumental impact on them and he was under-resourced but obedient. He made an impact not because he came in and bought them all this stuff and was just, you know, <laughs> lavishing them with gifts. 
He was just obedient, and because of that, he made a gigantic impact. The same is true for you. You, like Paul, have a unique calling. You have a unique skill set. You have a unique purpose. You have unique influence that no one else has. You have people watching you that aren't watching anyone else in this room. You have those things. And if you couple all of that, your skill set, your calling, your influence, you couple that with the fact that you start living like no one else is coming, I want to tell you, you are going to make a change. You're going to make a change in the people around you. You're going to make a change in the world. You're going to make a change in the church. We need you. (laughs) Cornerstone needs you. Without you, see kids is not what it could be without you. Our greeter team is not what it could be without you. Our worship team is not what it could be without you. Our tech team is not what it could be without you. We need you because you're unique and you're one of a kind and you have special influence and calling and skill set that no one else has. We need you, not your resources, your obedience, your obedience of your time, your talent, your treasure. We need that as a church. I don't want you to miss out on this. I don't want you to miss out on this because we would miss out. Obviously, as a church, we would miss out. You would miss out too. Let's not confuse things here. (laughs) You would miss out too. And I don't want that for you because God's doing something special in our church. I mean, you, you can feel it, right? Like you can feel God is at work in our church And I want to tell you something, and I don't mean this to be like a, this isn't a threat, it's a prediction. (laughs) You either start live, living like no one else is coming, or God will find someone else who will. You can, you can either join up, you can either get on board, you can either start moving in the direction that God is moving, or he'll find someone else who will. Just absolutely, just do it. Just do it. Start getting into the flow of what God is doing. Be a part of this move. Live like no one else is coming and make a difference that no one else can. You can do it. And I promise you, the the video testimonies we've been seeing, you'll be able to be a part of that. You'll be a part of that. Rather than sitting there and going, man, isn't that nice? But I don't know who these people are. Who's Alex? Who's Hayden? Who's Dean and Bernice? Who's Wes? I don't know who these people are. You will be a part of it. You will be a part of helping people find the father, a family of fulfilling future, rather than just sitting by and going, oh, isn't that nice? (laughs) I don't want you to miss out on that. I do not want you to miss out on that. Start living like no one else is coming. I want us to real quick in closing, just look at those last three verses that we've been focusing on today from Acts chapter 20. These are just, man, they're so strong. The apostle Paul says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, (laughs) I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, say it with me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I gotta tell you what, if those verses don't make you wanna run straight through a brick wall, check your pulse. I don't know what will then. I don't know what will. Paul's essentially saying, look, I have no clue what's coming. None. I have no idea. The only thing, in fact, the only thing I'm assured of is prison, and hardships, 
in testing and possibly death. It's the only thing I have any certainty in. However, (laughs) however, which is basically Paul's way of saying, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. I don't know what's coming, but I don't care because my only aim is Jesus. If you want to sum up the Apostle Paul's ministry in one phrase, his entire ministry in one phrase, no one else is coming. No one else is coming. You read the life of the Apostle Paul, you will see time and time again, he is making steps, he is making choices, he is making decisions, and it's very clear he is living his life with the phrase, it's on me. It's on me to do this. The gospel hasn't been preached there, send me. It hasn't been preached here, send me. Because it's on me. No one else is coming. No one else is coming. It is on me. That is how he lived his life. He could care less about his resources. It was all about obedience. He realized it's on me. And church, I want to let you know it's on you. It's on you. And I know we're real big on like, groups and collective, and that's great because we collectively are a church, but I want to let you know this is a very individual sermon today. I am talking to every single person in here today. I'm talking to every set of eyeballs. When I say it's on you, I don't mean collectively cornerstone. I mean you. I mean you. It is on you. That thing that you've been wondering, like, man, should I do it? Nah, someone else is probably coming. I'm here to tell you today, no one else is coming. It's on you. That person in your family, you're like, eh, yes, some, I wish someone would talk to them about Jesus. I want to let you know, you're that someone. It's on you. There is no one else coming. That new kid who's every single time you see them is by themselves. That's because no one else is coming. It's on you. That generational sin that you see just habitually go through one cycle after another after another, it's not going to stop until you say it's going to stop because it's on you. There is, I cannot say it enough. There's no one else coming. There is no one else coming. The the phrase that we've been focusing on today, it actually comes from, I don't know if anyone's seen that movie, Zero Dark Thirty. It's the movie about uh, uh, the CIA and FBI trying to find Osama bin Laden after the 9-11 terror attacks. And as you know from history, it took about 10 years to eventually find him and for them to hunt him down. And there's a scene in the movie that is so powerful where one of the directors comes into a room, this is about five years into the manhunt, and they're no closer to finding him than they were on day one. They're no closer. He comes in, slams the door, throws stuff down. He says, look, I don't know what you think, but let me make something very clear to you today. If you think there is some secret group working on this on another floor, If you think there's another building in Washington where they have intel that we don't have, where they've got resources that we don't have, they know what's going on and they're this close to a breakthrough, I want to let you know you are wrong. There is no one else. It is just on us. And we are failing right now. There's no one else coming. That resonated with me so much. I still think about that scene from time to time and I think about the truth of that, that In a lot of areas of life, there is no one else coming. You are there for a reason. God has given you a calling, he has given you a skill set, and he has given you influence for such a time as this. Do not squander it. Cut out with this tendency of dependency that someone else will come. There's no one else coming. There is no one else coming. It is on you. When it comes to this building project, 
I want to let you know something and make something abundantly clear. If you think there's a millionaire waiting out there, just waiting to sign a check for $2 million to build this building, I want to let you know you are wrong. If you think that we just have MPs out the wazoo and when someone calls off, oh, that's fine. We've got five more people clamoring to take their spot and we, don't, we have way more than enough people in C-Kids and we are worship team. We never, if you think that, I'm here to let you know today you are wrong. There is no one else. It's on us. Getting this building built, no one else is coming. No one else is coming. It's on us. It's just us and God, and I'm here to let you know that is more than enough. It's more than enough, and it has zero to do with the resources in this room, and it has everything to do with the obedience in this room. Are we gonna approach God saying how much, or are we gonna say how willing? How willing am I? How willing am I to take that weight? And I I hope you feel the weight of this today. I hope if you're thinking, oh, is he talking to me? Yep. Absolutely. I was talking directly to you. They expect me to give? Absolutely, I do. I do. I am. Me and my wife, we're giving to it to to the point that it hurts. To the point that we're going, okay, all right, we're going to have to really move some things around. So, yeah, I expect it. I expect it. Not a certain resource, I expect obedience. Because that's what God is after. That's what he is looking for. And that's what we, if we have any right to call ourselves his church, that's what we should be doing. Obeying him. Obeying him. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you ready to take those steps of obedience? If you are, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand as an affirmation, even if you're watching online. I don't care if you look weird. If you're at a Starbucks watching right now, they'll just think you want more cream or something like that. I want you to raise your hand. What we are doing in this moment, we are declaring no one else is coming. It's on me. It's on me. Father God, today we declare that truth. No one else is coming. It is just us in you, but that is more than enough. That's more than enough. That is all that we need. All you have ever asked for is our obedience. We see it time and time and time and time and time again in scripture. That's all you ever ask. That's why you pick the lowest and the least and you make them great. Not because they're so resourced, but because they're obedient and they're faithful. And they say, yes, God, send me. They say, yes, God, your servant is listening. They say, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Do with me what you will. God, that's the cry of our heart today as a church. And not just as a church, that is the cry of our heart individually today. That not just in the building, but as we leave this place, that as we look at our relationships we realize no one else is coming. It's on me to be the difference. No one else is coming. I hate my work. No one else is coming. It's on me to be the change first. My marriage is hard, man. No one else is coming. It's on me to make the difference first. Help us to internalize that. Help us to realize that because we know when we do, when we realize no one else is coming and we live like no one else is coming, we will make a monumental change in our life. Help us to do that, God, and we will give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise, and it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said in agreement, amen, amen. Amen.
Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.